Open your Bibles to Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60. I could easily take both sermons today on Isaiah 60. I wanted you all in my office last night. I was beside myself. Tears were flowing. I was shouting. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to embrace all of you and to share with you the glory of Isaiah chapter 60. It is a shame, but it's part of the gospel and it's part of the apostolic doctrine that we have to preach against the Jews on a regular basis. Because we're told, I'm told in Titus chapter 1 to preach against Jewish fables. And the apostles Paul had to spend a great portion of his ministry preaching against the Jews because their Jewish legalists were traveling behind him trying to corrupt those converted Gentiles that they needed to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. And so the entire book of Galatians is against these legalists. Philippians and Philippians primarily and some in Ephesians and much of Romans is about these Jewish legalists. That's why we have Romans chapter 3 and 4 in particular to war against those Jews. Jesus had to deal with them. John had to deal with them. John said, if you think that because you're children of Abraham, that makes you special, God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Jesus had to deal with them and said, if you were Abraham's seed, you wouldn't be trying to kill me. So there was a constant conflict. However, those were the people of God. God had chosen the whole earth's population to deal with them from the beginning. From Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then through Moses, and then David, it was this group of people to whom God sent his son. And the gospel was sent to them. They were taught by the Spirit. They were taught personally by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they went forth and taught our ancestors, our Gentile ancestors, the truth of the gospel. So, today's going to be a little different in that sense. Instead of preaching against the Jews, which still needs to be done, I still hate Zionism as much as I ever did, but I want us to rejoice in the Jewish church because without doing so, you won't understand or appreciate Isaiah 60, 61, and 62. These three chapters are about the Jewish church. Isaiah chapter 60, God would bless Israel with great light and glory through Messiah, the gospel of Messiah, and Gentiles converting to them. The Gentiles would explode that church in numbers. So the one would become a thousand and just a small one and a little one because we weren't, it wasn't much when it started, but the uh, church of Jesus Christ did grow greatly. I have a great torment of mind right now, knowing what to say to you in the minutes that I'm going to take for this chapter. I can tell you that if you want a more thorough review of each of these verses, and a more thorough foundation before you enter them, it will be in the outline. The outline is prepared, and I will commit to you that in the next 24 hours it will be posted to the website so that you can see what maybe you were looking for that you didn't get because I want to get through these 22 verses. But I need to start with some preparatory material. The last chapter, chapter 59, ended with a short two-verse but passionate and powerful covenant commitment of Jehovah to the Jews. And that is he was committing his spirit and he was committing his word. And you never want to forget those two things. We need those two things, his Holy Spirit and his inspired word. The one without the other is not very much good, but together they change nations. Together they change people. Together they build churches. And we want both of them. And that's how chapter 59 left us. This chapter begins with a glorious description of the reign of Messiah and the prosperity under his reign. When I use the word Messiah, I mean Christ. Messiah is the anointed one of God. Christ is the anointed one of God. Messiah equals Christos equals Christ. John chapter 1 and John chapter 4 tell us that the Messiah equals Christ. Don't be confused when I use that word. Now, I am going to read a number of points from my outline to you because there are some of you that want a foundation for interpreting the Bible. And I'm going to give you my foundation. I'm going to give you the reasons why and how I'm going to approach these 22 verses. So here we go. I'm, I'm not going to explanify them. I'm just going to give them to you because I want to get into the verses. Here's how we've got to look at these kind of chapters in Isaiah. 
The recovery from Babylon was quite important. And it is seen first with Messiah in the distance. Because as Isaiah looked forward, he saw that captivity in Babylon, a huge event in the history of the Jews. The major prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel are occupied with that huge event being taken captive into a foreign nation and the temple of God being leveled and there apparently being no worship of God on earth. It was huge. But then there was going to be a recovery by Cyrus the Persian out of that. So when Isaiah looked forward on the horizon of the the timeline of the church of God, there's a flat plain and then there's a little mountain there and it's the captivity and the recovery from Babylon. But behind it's a bigger mountain and it's called a mountain in the Bible and it's the mountain of the Lord's house will be established and all nations would flow to it. And so as Isaiah looked forward, he saw the event of Babylon, but then he saw behind it the great event of the New Testament church and kingdom of Jesus Christ. The Spirit led Isaiah to use the rescue from Babylon as a takeoff figure or type for the New Testament era. So there's going to be verses that are going to sound like they're pretty much what the Jews did when they came back from Babylon, but it's still in context talking about us in the New Testament, because there's going to be Gentile verses around them. I can't, I can't explain these. I'm just going to read them to you. Otherwise, I'm just going to give a sermon in hermeneutics right now, and we'll be quitting, and we won't even get to Isaiah 60. The temple had to be built for Messiah to come to it, so the rebuilding of Zion takes on New Testament value. Never forget that. That temple had to be built for one particular reason, for Jesus Christ to arrive at it which you can learn from Haggai chapter 2 and other places. Some verses may include the return from Babylon, but those 400 years were difficult, not glorious. Those 400 years from Zerubbabel to John the Baptist were not glorious. There's Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes in there. There's, There's Herod the Great in there, killing all the babies. I mean, there's a mess in there. There's abominations. Am I explaining again? I'm serious. I gotta quit. We won't get anywhere. This is in the outline. This is the foundation necessary to be able to read Isaiah 60 with understanding. I'm giving it to you right now. With these 17 points under your belt, you can open up the Bible to Isaiah 60 and understand it. And I want you to understand it. I'm supposed to read in the Word of God distinctly and give the sense and cause you to understand the reading and to help you to be able to go search the Scriptures to see if these things are so. So I put everything I say in writing. Here it is. I'm I'm continuing to read. His language and terminology, that is Isaiah's, were for his direct and immediate audience in Israel about 600 B.C. Prophetic similitudes, which are metaphors, word pictures, abound, as Isaiah used inspired word pictures to show the glory of the New Testament era. You must stay disciplined to grasp the use of Old Testament terms of Jerusalem for New Testament spiritual religion. The beauty and grandeur of the Messiah's kingdom and his churches are exalted by Isaiah as high as anywhere in the Bible. There is no reason to apply what he writes to heaven, since that would be a leap the prophet rarely attempts. We had glorious statements about the New Testament kingdom of Jesus Christ already in Isaiah, chapters 2, 11, 25, 35, 40, 42, 50, and 55. And 54. In places applicable to both Israel's return and Christ's kingdom, each verse has its own proportion. Listen, the Holy Spirit isn't bound by you or me or what we think. There's going to be verses that you can look at and say, you know what, I think that verse is 70% the return from Babylon and 30% Christ. Then the next verse you're going to say, I think that verse is 70% Christ and 30% Babylon. Some of you are going to say, I don't see Babylon in it at all. And sometimes you're going to say, I don't see Christ in it at all. But context is going to force us to see Christ in it. Because the real glory, the whole purpose for Israel, was to point to Christ. All the genealogies in the Bible. You know the most boring chapters in the whole Bible? They all have one purpose. Christ. They all point to Christ. I'm explaining again. And I'm not being funny. I'm terrified by what's in front of me. As we saw before, verb tenses are applied less strictly as illustrated by comparing verses 1 and 2. Look at verses 1 and 2 right in front of you. The light has come. That means it's there. Verse 2 is future tense. Darkness shall cover the earth, but the Lord shall arise. That's future. I mean, you don't have to go anywhere in Isaiah to find him using verb tenses differently. 
And nouns, the persons of nouns change. Let me show you something in advance. This is for later today. Look at verse 7 of Isaiah 61. Next chapter, we're learning how to use the Bible. We're learning how to read the Bible. Because I want to share with you the truth of this passage, and I want you to know how to go and find it yourself and teach it to others. Isaiah 61 and verse 7, for your shame, that second person, your shame, ye shall, that second person. But look at the next clause. And for confusion, they shall rejoice. These are the same people. These are the exact same people. It's introduced with second person, your shame, ye shall have double in the first clause of verse 7. And then the rest of verse 7, the rest of verse 8 and verse 9 is third person because it's they and there. But then look at verse 10. It's first person. I will greatly rejoice. It's the same group of people. Are you kidding me? Lord, three tenses about the same group of people in five verses? Yes. Yes, that's why he's called a workman in the Bible. And so those men of God that get up in the pulpit and preach the word of God and have rightly divided the scriptures, they're approved of God because they're workmen. And it takes study. And we'll get to that later today, the Lord willing. But uh, there's three persons in five verses. I love it. I love it. I love, I love every word of God. Verse 7 should, verse seven should tie you in knots. i got to get, get back to my introduction. Brethren, yes, I'm a little looser today. I wasn't as loose last Sunday, and I'm sorry. For any detraction that my lack of looseness last Sunday hurt you and, and hindered the word of God, I'm sorry. I wanted you all in my office last night, and I am wound tighter than the drum right now, but I've got to cover these points. I hope that you've heard them so far and that you can, you can hear them generally and say, yep, 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 I agree with all those points. You mean you keep all those together? Absolutely. You have to. You have to. You have to keep reminding yourself of these rules. That's why they're at the top of this outline. It's 12 pages long, but they're at the top because you need them in place to understand the passage. The several mentions of the Gentiles throughout the passage require an emphasis on the New Testament era because Gentiles did not get involved in this church in numbers until the New Testament work of our brother Paul. As with parables, the interpretation needs to emphasize the lesson over the individual words. You know, there's the, there's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and don't go into that Good Samaritan and try to figure out what the oil is and what the wine is and the two pence. You know, there's preachers that are pretty good at telling you that's the Old and New Testament. The two pence that he gave the innkeeper. The innkeeper isn't a church. There's nothing about the church in, a, in Luke chapter 10. But it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a lesson. The whole lesson. The whole parable. All the details are worthless in consideration, in comparison to the lesson. Who is my neighbor? It's somebody that you culturally hate that happens to be in your way with the providence of God that you are able to help. That's, the, that's who your neighbor. Because the lawyer was trying to excuse himself, as lawyers always do, by playing with words. Jesus said, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He said, who is my neighbor? And so there's a lesson there. And the lesson is, those that you culturally hate, or those that where there's a cultural division or antagonism, and, and the Lord puts one of them in your path, leap to it. That's loving your neighbor. Because it's more than your friends. And so when we come into Isaiah 60, we want to see the lesson. We want to see the direction, the theme that the Lord is giving us, not worry about individual words because it's very comparable in prophetic language because of the extent of their similitudes, their metaphors, their similes, their word pictures. Either extreme, if we're too literal or we're too, or we spiritualize in an undisciplined way, is easier to do, it's easier to preach that way, and they're both dangerous. The workman needs to earn his captain's approval by laboriously studying to rightly divide the word of truth. Now we get to go to Isaiah 60. But if you remember those things and they're written down for you, those, those rules bear on how we now look at this passage of Scripture. The first two verses. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For, behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And so we open this chapter, and we open this three-chapter section of Isaiah with two imperative verbs telling the Jewish church to do something. Arise! 
You are no longer the ashamed, confused church. We will get to those words in this passage. You are no longer the ashamed, confused church that has been deserted by your God and had to spend 70 years captive in Babylon. You will no longer be the obscure nation from Zerubbabel to John the Baptist without a king. The kings were hidden for 400 years. No prophets. Malachi wrote 400 years B.C., For 400 years, there's an intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew. And that was obscure for them. And they were were pitiful in the earth. And the Seleucids and the Ptolemies from Syria and Egypt, respectively, battered them. Then Herod the Great was an appointee of the Roman government. And he was their king. And he was an Edomite. Oh, that was terrible for them. They were ashamed and confused. But no more. Arise, shine, for there's been a big change. And this is the prophet looking forward using verb tenses however he pleases. Because this didn't happen until Jesus came. But he uses present tense, then he uses future tense. But we know because we live on this side of the cross. And I thank God that he made me a prophet. He made me a preacher of the New Testament on this side of the cross rather than a prophet on the other side of the cross. With all the obscurity of that language, the Bible tells us, in all honesty, in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, that those poor Old Testament prophets didn't really know what or what time or what manner of events they were even writing about. But we know, because we're on this side, and we get to put on the spectacles of the New Testament and read the Old Testament and rejoice. And I want you to rejoice in the Jewish church, because it was the Jewish church that was to arise and shine. Because the light had come. For thy light is come. That's the light of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light of the world. He was light when he was in this world. He shined in light and the darkness comprehended it not. We know that this is the Lord Jesus Christ, but the emphasis is on the church. Arise, shine, for thy light. Notice it doesn't say, arise, shine, for the light is come. Arise, shine, for the glory of the Lord is risen. No. Watch this. Are you ready? I wrote you last night, and I tried to help you. If you'd have been in my, if you'd have been in my office, I would have helped you. Watch this. We're, we're going to look for those second-person pronouns. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and growth's darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to Christ. No. And the Gentiles shall come to the light. No. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light. And kings to the brightness of thy rising. Christ rising, thy rising. Oh, brethren. Oh, I wish there were some Jewish brethren right here from the Jerusalem church. Because I don't care about self-isolation and social separation. I'd hug hug them and crush their lung and ribcage. Oh, we got, the, we got the gospel truth from them. Look at verse 4. Lift up thine eyes round about and see. All they gather themselves together, they come to Christ. No, they come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. The multitude of camels shall cover thee. The dromedaries of Midian and Apha, all they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring golden incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together unto thee. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister unto thee. They shall come up with acceptance on mine altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. Amen and amen. amen. That saved me some time. I won't have to read that again. I read distinctly, but a little fast, because I'm a little energized. But did you notice all that? It did not say the Gentiles are going to come to Christ. It didn't say the Gentiles are going to come to the altar. It didn't say the Gentiles are going to fall victim to the Great Commission. It said the the, the Gentiles were going to come to the Jewish church because the Jewish church was given Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ gave the Jewish church the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists. And the Gentiles get, yep, pastors and teachers. But... What do they have to preach? What the apostles and prophets wrote down for them. It's, just, it's beautiful, brethren. Can we just, we got to pick up the pace. Just look, I just, I just want to show you 
that Isaiah 60, 61, and 62 are telling Israel that their 1,500-year purpose is about to be realized in the building of that second temple, the Lord Jesus Christ coming to it. All you've got to do, really, do you want, do you want a commentary on Isaiah 60, 61, and 62? You, really? I'm going to give you one. It's in the Bible. It is the testimonies of Zacharias, Elizabeth, Mary, Simeon, and Anna. Go read them. It'll blow your mind after you've read these three chapters. They knew exactly what was happening. They knew that the promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their fathers was being fulfilled right in front of them. Simeon was able to hold that baby and said, Now mine eyes have seen thy salvation. That salvation that was going to clothe Israel, that salvation that God was going to bring through that nation was right in his hands. And he said, Lord, now let thy servant die. Listen, I don't have any more reason to live because I have seen thy son. I have seen thy Christ. Honestly, if you want to get lit up, go read the Bible commenting on itself. Inspired commentary. Zacharias, Elizabeth, Mary, Simeon, Anna. We don't, we don't appreciate it. They lived in such obscurity and shame. God chose the smallest nation on earth. He had to chase them at times. He had to let other nations have the better of them, the best of them, the better of them. They had to be taken captive. They had their temple laid to the ground. There wasn't an altar. There wasn't priests. There was nothing left. They were ashamed and confused. But then he rescued them by Cyrus the Great, and that was in the 40s. In the 50s, you got to hear about the servant of God coming, who was going to die on the cross for us in the 60s, what did he accomplish in the world? Remember back there? Do you remember back there in the 50s that Jesus was complaining that his ministry wasn't very effective? And God said, don't worry. You're going to do a whole lot more than these Jews. I know not very many of them have believed on you, son. Do you remember that sermon? Don't worry, because the Gentiles are going to explode this church in size. And that's what we have. Arise, Israel, Jewish church, arise, shine, get excited, get, off of, get out of the dust. Yes, you've been in the dust, you've been in captivity, you've been in 400 years of obscurity, but look what's coming. John the Baptist announcing his cousin, the Lord Jesus Christ, the virgin-born son of God from Isaiah chapter 7, whose name is the mighty God from Isaiah chapter 9. The ensign of David is here. Oh, arise, shine, church, Get up. Church, get excited. Church, show us your joy. And they didn't have as much as we do. We get to see it on this side of Paul. I thank God for Paul, who wrote all the New Testament epistles. Let's just make a generalization. Paul did. Paul did. And you say, well, Peter wrote two. Yeah, Peter wrote two to help Paul by writing those two epistles to Paul's churches. Go read where the strangers were that Peter addressed. That was just to make sure that they all knew that Paul and Peter were on the same page. It's all, okay, let's go. Isaiah 60, for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. That, that light and that glory of the Lord is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It includes the person of Christ himself. It includes his righteousness. It's what he taught. It's how he corrected the Pharisees. It's everything that he did. The glory of the Lord by his signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Ghost, his resurrection from the dead, his death on the cross. It's all included there. There's no reason to dive into those words and try to pull them apart and try to apply them just to some specific aspect of the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's the whole thing. It's the whole gospel. It's the whole message. It's not just Jesus. It's the message about Jesus. It's what he taught, and it's what he gave his apostles to teach because the light that the Gentiles were going to see were not directly from him, but it was all about him by his apostles. And they would see it. Verse 2, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. Men have been ignorant from the beginning, totally ignorant, and gross darkness, complete and comprehensive darkness, the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. In this whole earth, you look at these nations and continents and different groups of people, and they've been so ignorant, whether they're worshiping Buddha or the Hindus, I don't even know what to name for the Hindus. They have... I think they have one named Vishnu, and I think they have one named Rama. Oh, yeah, there's a couple million more of them because they're such polytheistic, ignorant, and dark. The whole earth 
is dark in ignorance. You know, the Muslims are over there in Mecca worshiping a meteorite, brethren. They kiss that poor thing. A black meteorite in the, the, called the Kaaba stone. They have pilgrimages to it to, to get down on their knees on their little magic carpets for a little ride to, to worship a, a meteorite. Darkness shall cover the earth. Amen. And if it hadn't been for this light arising in Israel, arise, shine, thy light. The light is the Jewish knowledge of the truth that we Gentiles had to have. They were monotheistic worshipers of Jehovah. I am that I am, and no one else on earth was even close. And every exception that you can think of that was a Gentile that was part of that that worshiped Jehovah, the exception proves the rule. God dealt only with that group of people, and darkness covered the earth. But the Jews, the Jewish church, that is the elect remnant that God loved and that were his elect and that believed the truth. God opened their hearts to it. They loved the Lord Jesus Christ. They believed on him. They repented of their sins. They were baptized by John the Baptist or Jesus' apostles. They are the ones I'm talking about when I say the Jewish church. I do not mean the reprobates that God tore out of this earth through Jesus Christ and the armies of Titus in 70 AD. I'm talking about that elect remnant that were, that were made up of apostles and the common people that gladly heard Jesus and that followed him. Those women that followed him, they followed him up, the, up toward Calvary. That was the church. And out of that church, there was only 120 souls when they started in Acts chapter 1. But by Acts chapter 2 in, at noon, they were 3,120. And by the end of that day, they were 13,120 by the end of the day of Pentecost. You say, how do you get that number? 5,000 men were converted that afternoon. And it just says, men, let's add in a few women and children so we can get ourselves up to 10,000. Is that fair enough? 10,000 plus 3,000 plus 120 in one day. Thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. They were full of the Holy Ghost, and Peter was able to preach a sermon that's magnificent. Magnificent! As he draws conclusions, therefore, therefore, in chat, verse 33, verse 36, as he pulls together scriptures that glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. You better be thankful for that, church. We hate Jewish fables as much as we ever did. I haven't changed one whit. But I have changed this way. I haven't appreciated the Jewish church as much as I do right now and as much as I did in the last couple of days and as much as I did last night as the Lord just buried me in it. Buried me in it. I was just thinking of verse after verse after verse. Brethren, we have been grafted in to the holy root and fatness of a tree. We are wild, ugly, Gentile branches and we have been grafted into a tree that Romans chapter 11 describes as holy and the root and the fatness that is God's church. And it existed for 1,500 years before any of us were converted. And so we want to thank the Lord for that because that's what Isaiah 61 and 2 are about. That's why all the emphasis here, because once you get it in your head to look at this properly, it flows easily. So we come to the next lesson, verses 3 through 8. The Gentiles to be converted and to bring gifts to this church. They're going to love the church just like I do this morning. They did. Listen, brethren, I'm getting ahead of myself and I don't care. I'm, you're going to understand this chapter when I'm done, I hope. In Acts chapter 11, a prophet named Agabus arrived in Antioch of Syria, 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And he said that the Lord had told him there was going to be a great dearth throughout the whole earth. Well, what does a church of Gentiles do when they hear that there's going to be a great dearth throughout the whole world? All they can think of is we can't let our Jewish brethren get hungry. So they took a collection and sent that down 300 miles away. Why didn't they care about the orphans, the widows, and the strangers in their city? because they cared about that Jewish church. And then in Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul's writing Rome saying, listen, I'm going to come to you as soon as I can, but right now, they of Macedonia, that's the Philippi church, they of Achaia, that's the Corinth church, have given me a bunch of money, and I'm, co I'm traveling with some brothers across the Mediterranean Sea to take it to the poor brethren in Judea. It's Romans 15, verses 25 through 27, and he said it's a perfect trade because they are their debtors. Brethren, we are the debtors of the Jewish church. They are their debtors, and because they have, those Gentiles have realized spiritual things, it is no problem that they ought to be willing to part with their carnal things to pay them for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. That's what this is all about. We're going to run into this sucking the teats of the Gentiles. How? Getting the riches of the Gentiles? Because the Gentile, listen, when the offering basket was passed in Corinth, this is going to the poor brethren in Judea. They reach deep. Both pockets. They pulled out both pocket secretaries and pulled out as much as they could for the poor saints in Judea. 
I've already read it. I hope it was distinctly, though it was fast. Verse 3, just look at it. The Gentiles shall come to thy light. It doesn't say the Gentiles shall come to the light. It doesn't say the Gentiles shall come to Messiah. It doesn't say the Gentiles shall come to God's servant. It says the Gentiles shall come to thy light. The Gentiles would line up to hear Jews preach the gospel. When you go to Acts chapter 13, Paul's in Antioch of Pisidia across the Mediterranean Sea. I have to make the distinction. I want you to know it. I want you to learn it. Paul's home church was Antioch, but it was Antioch of Syria, 300 miles north of Jerusalem, where Syria is today. But Antioch of Pisidia is across the Mediterranean Sea in what's now Turkey, mid-Turkey. Anyway, he's in Acts 13. It's his first recorded sermon in the Bible. And it says, it says, the whole city came to hear him the next Sabbath day. The whole city came and the Jews envied at the multitude. Those Jews were reprobate Jews and Paul said they were. Those reprobate or blinded Jews were very different from the Jews here because the Jews here by prophecy would celebrate and rejoice the conversion of Gentiles because it was such a great event that their little nation, their little church, their little religion had Gentiles lining up like it was pandemic panic buying at Costco (laughs) to hear the apostles preach. And so Paul saw their envy and he turned to them and blasted them. You've judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Because when you go to Acts chapter 15, two chapters later, at the Council of Jerusalem, they're celebrating the conversion of the Gentiles. Go read it. Verse 3 especially. And then James says, men and brethren, do you know what we've just heard? Peter, you got things started telling us about Cornelius. Then Paul and Barnabas told us about all the churches they've started among the Gentiles. This is the fulfillment of Amos 9. God is building up the tabernacle of David and repairing its waste places. Remember those words from Acts chapter 15 because we're going to run into them because it didn't mean Zerubbabel. It meant Jesus Christ through his apostles building up the waste places and building a kingdom that surrounded this whole earth. The knowledge of God was from sea to shining sea. Listen, the world can say the sun never set on the British Empire. The sun never set on the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Let's get something real. You take it any direction you want, and there are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ everywhere. Oh. I know. I never took pulpit manner 101 or 404. And neither did Peter. Neither did Paul, nor did John. John especially. And Elijah, his, his predecessor. Forgive me, but just, I just want you to look. Now, I want you to look at these verses now, and I hope they just spring off the page at you. Verse 3, the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Kings would care about this little nation popping out of the earth, that the only ones that had the true religion. There's Agrippa sitting listening to Paul. Almost thou hast persuaded me to be a Christian. It was incredible. I want, can I chase that little rabbit for 15 seconds? Paul made a play on A words. He made a play. Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest. Paul said, I would that altogether. <laughs> it's just, I'm sorry. I would that altogether thou were such an one as myself. He wanted Agrippa to be just like him. And he, so he played, <laughs> you say, how'd that come from? How'd that come from Greek to English? I don't care how it came. I just trust the Bible and I love every word. And when I see an A game being played by the Holy Spirit, I rejoice. Almost, I would that you were all together. Kings. Constantine had to change the religion of the Roman Empire because Christians were so numerous. Gentile Christians were so numerous. Kings shall come to thy rising. Yeah, I'll be baptized. Yeah, I'll admit Christ. Yeah, I won that last victory because a sign of a cross appeared in the sky and this sign conquer. Yeah, it's all about Christ. You know, he wasn't a real believer, but who cares? They had to come to the rising. They had to admit that the religion of Jesus Christ was glorious. And it, and it was changing the world. And the whole earth was seeing it. And nations were flowing to the Jewish church for a few years. Then God destroyed most of the Jews. And it became a primarily Gentile church. Maybe God will send us a true Jew. There's not too many of them in the world that loves Jesus Christ someday. Verse 4, speaking to the Jewish church, Church, lift up thine eyes round about and see. Look, 
thine eyes round about, look in every direction. They're coming from every direction. They're coming from the south. Here comes the Ethiopian eunuch. They're coming from the north, east, and west. They're coming from every direction. They want part of this religion. They want part of this faith. They want part of your light and part of your glory that God's given you. All they gather themselves together, they come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. These Gentiles were grabbing Jews in their area. They were worshiping in synagogues, taking them with them. And the church was coming together and flowing into one church. Here's the Jewish stream that was already there. And then here comes the graft-in branch or stream. You know, there's all kinds of word pictures in the Bible. Here comes the Gentile stream in, and it flows together. All they gather themselves together, they shall come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. We're all going to be united Jews and Gentiles coming together. Then thou shalt see and flow together. Jews and Gentiles, you're going to see them. You're going to see all these Gentiles wanting your religion, coming to the light that God's put on you, and the brightness of thy rising out of obscurity to be the church and nation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was made under the law. He came to be a minister of the circumcision. He was not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He told his apostles, do not go to anyone but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. While he was alive, after he died, he changed things from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. They shall flow together and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged. The Jewish church would have an increase in their fear of God and their love of God by the tremendous things he did for them. And this theme is going to be seen all the way through the passage of 60, 61, and 62 in that the Jewish church will know that God is blessing them in an incredible way that they never had before. Not under David winning military victories and putting a stone in Goliath's forehead. Far better than that. They're going to be clothed with salvation and righteousness and the garments of praise and filled with joy. Everlasting covenant made with them through Jesus Christ. The sure mercies of David, meaning he'll never die. David died at 70, but Jesus would live forever on the throne of the kingdom. And they're seeing this. Thine heart. Whose heart are we talking about? The Jewish church. Thine heart shall fear and be enlarged. You're going to know that God is at work on your behalf. You're going to fear him more and love him more. When the Bible speaks of an enlarged heart, it means that they have a lot of love in them. Paul told the Corinthians, I wish your heart was enlarged toward us. Ours is enlarged toward thee. Meaning, we have a lot of love for you. And the the more I love you, though, the less I be loved. Who straightened your heart? That means to restrict it, like a straitjacket. Be ye enlarged. Because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. What What will make the Jewish church, excuse me, What will make the Jewish church so excited that they will increase in their fear of God and their love of God? Because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee, the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. Gentiles from everywhere, all the surrounding area of the Mediterranean region. Isn't the whole Bible about the Mediterranean region, what we call the Middle East? All the areas of the sea are going to come to Christ. Come to the gospel. They're going to come. Oh, forgive me. I slipped that one in there. They're going to come to the Jewish church because they're going to come to thee, it says. They'll come to thee, the forces of the Gentiles. They're going to bring all their help with them. They're going to bring, they're going to bring national laws that will help protect you. They're going to bring money, which is going to come up a couple of times. They're going to bring their riches. They're going to bring whatever they're good at. They're going to share with you. And so here goes the prophet in these word pictures. I hope that I have said enough so far that in these first five verses, you're able to say, that's, that's clear now. That's clear, I see it, and I love it, and I, I actually do partake of some of your enthusiasm for it. Uh, that's, as all, that's as high as you're going to get. Some, because I'm about to burst, and I don't see any of you bursting. Are some of you bursting in your homes? These are wonderful passages, wonderful verses here. Thine heart shall fear and be enlarged because you're going to see Gentiles and Jews flowing together and the abundance of the sea. There's going to be so many conversions. It's going to change the world. The multitude of camels shall cover thee. The dromedaries, that's a fast camel made for riding, of Midian and Ephah. Now, brethren, these are sons of Keturah. Abraham had three wives and eight sons. Abraham's first son was Ishmael by Hagar. 
Abraham's last six sons were by Keturah. Abraham's promised son was Isaac by Sarah. The promises were made through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, to the 12 tribes of Israel. So, for, brethren rejoice at this. For the Lord to get his point across about how this is so different, the sons of Keturah are back. They're lining up to hear the gospel preached by Jewish preachers. That is what it, verse 6, go look it up. Go look up who Midian and Ephah are. They're the sons of Keturah. The multitude of camels shall cover thee. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. They're going to come shouting. They're shouting happy because the gospel has arrived. They've been regenerated, and you've got the news to tell them to bring life and immortality to light through the gospel. The sons of Keturah. You know, Abraham gave them a vet each and sent them off to the east. He just gave them a little bit of goodies and sent them away because Isaac was his son. And then what do you think the next, who do you think the next verse just might be about with that preparation material that I gave you? All the flocks of Keter, these are the Arabians, shall be gathered unto thee, the rams of Nebaioth. These are the sons of Ishmael. Unbelievable. Lord, are you kidding that the streams are flowing together? Keturah's sons, Ishmael's sons, Hagar's sons are coming together? Yes. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister unto thee. They're going to bring their stuff with them, what they're good at. See, these different people were good at these things. They shall come up with acceptance on mine altar. I will be accepting the descendants of es Esau, the descendants of Ishmael, making sacrifice. And I will glorify the house of my glory, the house that I am building. The tabernacle of David that is being raised up by the Gentiles being converted. It started out with you Jews, but I'm adding the sons of Keturah. I'm adding the sons of Ishmael. And their, uh, their offerings are going to be acceptable to me through Jesus Christ, which is 1 Peter 2, 5, which we know because we're reading from the New Testament with New Testament spectacles on the word of God. But the Lord is saying, I'm going to accept their worship as well. You know, that wasn't true in the past. And I will glorify the house of my glory. Who are these that fly as a cloud and as the doves to their windows? Who are these? These are the converted Gentiles from all over the world. The sons of Keturah, the sons of Ishmael, everywhere. Paul went everywhere and preached the gospel. In Romans chapter 15, if you read it last evening, he said, I have no more places in these parts to preach. I got to go to Spain. I'm still looking for Gentiles that haven't heard. He had covered it. He said, I'm free from the blood of all men in Asia. Now that was Asia Minor of the Roman government, but he said that. I'm free from the blood of all men because I've preached it. You know, they're coming like a cloud, a cloud. Remember the cloud of witnesses in Hebrews chapter 12? When it says a cloud of witnesses, that's you on the track running your race, running the Christian race. That's what it's, taught, that's what it's about in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. So you're down there on the track, and when you look up and you hear this roar, you, you just see a cloud of witnesses because you can't see the individual persons. It's a beautiful expression in the Bible. You know, I, I wish I'd have been taught that earlier. A cloud, a cloud of witnesses. All those people just look like a cloud. Sometimes you see a flock of birds and it looks like just a big cloud. It, it'll get in the way, it'll get between you and the sun sometimes. You'll see this shadow coming and it's just a big cl cloud of birds. But listen, it's, it's a particular kind of bird. Listen, you, you should read a little bit about doves and homing pigeons. You know, okay, they, they know that there's only one place to go. You can take a homing pigeon from England, put it in a little box, take it to Italy, let, let it go. It's going to fly straight home to England. No problem. It's fun to read about them. It's fun to read about them. Who are these that fly as a cloud and as the doves to their windows? They go right back to the same place. There's only one thing they're interested in. There's only one place the Gentiles want to go, and it's the Jewish church to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who are these? These are the converted hordes of the Gentiles wanting to join the Jewish church. That gets us to verse 9. Verses 9 through 14. Let me read them to you. The Gentiles would serve the Jewish church. We've already had some of that in verses 6 and 7, but here's more. Surely the isles shall wait for me and the ships of Tarshish first to bring thy sons from far, their silver and their gold with them unto the name of the Lord thy God and to the Holy One of Israel because he hath glorified thee, still thee, the church. 
the Jewish church. And the sons of strangers shall build up thy walls, and their kings shall minister unto thee. For in my wrath I smote thee, but in my favor have I had mercy on thee. Therefore thy gates shall not Therefore thy gates shall be open continually, they shall not be shut day nor night, that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles, and that their kings may be brought. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish, yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. The glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee, the fir tree, the pine tree, and the box together, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons also of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee, and all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet, and they shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. And amen. Remember all the rules that I gave you before I started today. This is the apostle painting word pictures using Old Testament terms for New Testament religion. You've got to learn that. All this is about the building of the New Testament church. The Gentiles never flocked to the Jews before this. The Gentiles only went back and forth with their armies to crush the Jews for 400 years between Zerubbabel and John the Baptist. But beginning at verse 9, Surely the isles shall wait for me in the ships of Tarshish. So we had the descendants of Keturah up there in verse 6. We had the descendants of Ishmael and Hagar in verse 7. And now we've got the ships of Tarshish coming you know, let's not get, let, don't chase this one very far. I just want to throw it out there. You know, you know Paul, wa, Paul was from a place called Tarsus, and Paul did travel by ships, and Paul did bring converts across the Mediterranean Sea in both directions. But let's not get too literal with these verses, or we'll get in trouble, because then once you, once you start doing that, then you think that you're in trouble when for some verse you can't think of what the, the dromedaries are about. Well, the dromedaries are just something that those particular people specialized in, and they were going to bring what their specialty was. What was Tarshish on the coast known for? Their ships. And so they're going to bring their ships, and they're going to bring sons on those ships, and they're going to bring gold on those ships. Was there money brought across the Mediterranean Sea, according to the New Testament record? Yes, there was, to the Jewish church. To the Jewish church. And their silver and their gold with them. And why were they going to bring it? Under the name of the Lord thy God. Thy God. They're going to be worshiping thy God. Those Greeks are going to be worshiping thy God. Those Turkish people are going to be worshiping thy God. And to the Holy One of Israel, because he hath glorified thee. They're going to want to worship him because he's glorified thee by giving thee his son and his gospel. And the sons of strangers, that's Gentiles, shall build up thy walls. Not the walls Zerubbabel built. Not the walls that Nehemiah built. It's using Old Testament terms of speech for New Testament church. They're going to build up the kingdom of Jesus Christ. They're going to build up churches. Gentiles are going to do it. Their kings shall minister unto thee. What do we call our Bible? What's, what's, what's the name of our Bible version? It's not some vague thing like New International Version or the Revised Standard Version or the New Revised Standard Version or the Revised New Standard Version. It's the King James Version. And uh, there's more kings than that in the, in the British line that have helped the churches of Jesus Christ. Kings shall minister unto thee, for in my wrath I smote thee. Yes, I sent you to Babylon, but in my favor have I had mercy on thee. This is what I'm going to do for you. Do you know what he's going to call this later? I'm going to give you back double. I know I, know I caused you some pain in Babylon, but I'm going to give you double. And when the Bible says double, when the Bible says double, it does not want you to think about math it wants you to think about a whole lot more. Because the New Testament, compared to the best the Old Testament ever had, there's no comparison. You wouldn't call it a double. But the Bible calls it a double to get your attention that it's going to be oh so much better. The latter house shall have greater glory than the former house. How much greater glory did the latter house have than the former house? The second temple to the first temple. Jesus coming to it compared to Solomon killing 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. How much better? Twice? I think not. Amen. I trow not, as my Lord and Savior would say. I trow not. Now you should be able to read these verses and just rejoice in them. It's, it's the building up of the New Testament church. Verse 11, Therefore thy gates shall, not, shall be open. Forgive me, that's twice now. Therefore thy gates shall be open continually. Now the, temp, the, uh, the city walls of Jerusalem between Zerubbabel and John the Baptist had their gates closed. That's what gates are for, to close them. They had enemies. 
You know, when we talk about the Maccabees, are we talking about the Maccabees because Israel was in a great period of peace and prosperity? Or do we talk about the Maccabees because they had to fight off the Grecians that were there under Antiochus Epiphanes? Yes, the latter part of that is true. They shall not be shut day nor night. This is talking about the church of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is open to all people of all nations, of, of all kinds of people, 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day. If someone wants to be baptized, they can be baptized at night or in the morning. We don't care when they want to be baptized. We'll take them. Gentiles can line up and be added to the church. So it's the gates of the kingdom of God. And, we, and don't, It's just that the church is willing to receive at all times. They shall not be shut day nor night. Why? That men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles, and that their kings may be brought. So that all the, from the Gentiles from bottom, the, the lower levels of society, to the upper levels can come and hear the truth of the gospel. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. And listen, I have in my notes a whole lot of material on this particular verse. But we have known and we have talked before from Proverbs chapter 8 and other places in the Bible. Blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord. Is that a true statement in the Bible? Blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord. Have we seen that fulfilled in American history? Yes, we have. Have we seen those who have set themselves against the God of the Bible and how that they do not have what we have? Absolutely. This verse, this verse tells us that. Here's the, I was taught Jewish fables as a young man. And I was taught that America was great because America had befriended biological, what they thought were biological Jews. You know, until just a few years ago, there were more Jews in New York City than in Israel. I just want you to know that. It's, very clo it's still close. But there were more Jews in New York City than there were in Israel, the whole, the whole, yeah, the whole nation. But anyway, we were supposed to love Israel, we were supposed to love the Jews, and, and because America did that, America sent F-16s to Israel to help them fight the antiquated equipment of the Egyptians and so forth in the Six-Day War in 1967, that uh, America was great because we did that. But uh, no, 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 the seed of Abraham is Jesus Christ. And America is great because America has allowed free preaching in every corner of the Bible, and it allows Bible Christianity. It has in its past promoted Bible Christianity, and that is what made America great, the real seed of Abraham, right. the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. Where is that found in the Bible? It's found in Galatians chapter 3. To whom was Paul writing? The Gentiles of Turkey, northern Turkey, the seed of Abraham. And so when we look at verse 12, I just got to race over it, brethren, there is such a difference made in the world because of the gospel. Because of the gospel. The nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. If you make a measure of the nations of earth by, by their proportion of Christians, you can compare them to other nations and see the difference. The differences are all kinds. You say, where's the list of all the differences? Proverbs chapter 8. You say, what verses? The middle part of the chapter is about the differences that God makes in nations because of wisdom. Right. It's about verses 12 to 21. Proverbs chapter 8, about 12 to 21. It's exactly 12 to 21 now that I look at my notes. <laughs> the sun never set on a particular empire. Did that empire have something to do with our Bible's name? Was that about one of the smallest nations on earth? That little piece of rock in the North Atlantic? It's just, it's pitiful looking. Ruled the world. India bowed at its feet. India. I got to get off the verse. All these are just descriptions of God's blessing of the Jewish church. Verse 13, the glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee. What was Lebanon known for? Its trees, its cedars. Cedars were its best tree, but they're going to bring the fir tree, the pine tree, and the box together to beautify the place of my sanctuary. They weren't going to bring literal trees. This isn't literal Lebanon with some, some man going out and cutting down a tree and hauling it to Jerusalem for the benefit of his family. This is just describing Gentiles of all kinds with what they were gifted to do to bring those gifts to the Jewish church and to help build up the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It started out as a Jewish church and then morphed 
into primarily a Gentile church. Verse 14, the sons also of them that afflicted thee, all the enemies you've had in the past, they're going to come and bow down to you. They shall come bending unto thee, not unto Christ, unto thee, unto the Jewish church. They're going to need those apostles. Do you know how much the Roman church wanted Paul to come and visit them? Do you know how much we would want Paul to come and visit us? Do you know that they went as far as the three taverns in Appia Forum to meet Paul on his way up the boot of Italy? And all, all they... Was it the Romans that killed Jesus Christ? Yeah, under the instigation of the Jews. But did the Romans want to hear the gospel from a Jew? Are you, was Caesar's household converted by a Jew? Did Claudia, the daughter of the king of Wales, get converted by Paul and take the gospel to the British Isles? All they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet, and they shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. They, they understood Mount Zion because this, this, we're supposed to read this with the spectacles of the New Testament from Hebrews chapter 12, 22 through 24, where we are come unto Mount Zion, the city, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the great King, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the next lesson runs from verse 15 to verse 17. The prosperity of the church is going to be very great. Verse 15, Whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated, I've turned myself on thee, I've hid myself from thee and turned my back on thee, so that no man went through thee. I will make thee an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. Thou shalt also suck the milk of the Gentiles and shalt suck the breast of kings. And thou shalt know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. For brass I will bring gold, and for iron I will bring silver, and for wood brass, and for stones iron. I will also make thy officers peace, and thine exactors righteousness. Verses 15 through 17 describe the prosperity of the church to be great as these Gentiles come in. Started out Jewish. Jesus came to it. Jesus preached to it. Jesus chose 12 apostles. And on the day of Pentecost, Jesus poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost that God had given him to the church 13,120 members at the end of that day. And it continued to grow. And immediately there arose a persecution. Stephen was killed. Saul was keeping the garments. Saul of Tarsus was keeping garments. And they exploded out of Jerusalem because of that persecution. The Lord arranged it to send people out. So Philip goes out. What's Philip? Philip's a deacon. <laughs> he's more than a deacon. He's full of the Holy Ghost. And he's an evangelist. And he goes to Samaria. You know what happens. It's, it's Acts 8. He converts almost the whole city. Amen. The, Jew, the Jewish church had been forsaken and hated by God and men, by all outward appearances, so that no man went through. He was just a pile of rubble for 70 years. You've got, you got to think Babylon, think Christ. Think Babylon, think the church. Tie, pull them together, because that's what Isaiah's doing. He's been doing it to us for 60 chapters. This is the 60th. I will make thee an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. Here we are. How many generations are we removed from the apostles? And here we are. Is it still a joy to us? I was beside myself last night. I've experienced exciting things in my life. There's nothing like this. I will make thee an eternal excellency. This is the last kingdom of God on earth. We're just going to move in location into the heavenly kingdom. This is the last dispensation. The end of the world has come upon us. Thou shalt also suck the milk of the Gentiles. They're going to be supporting you. And shalt suck the breast of kings. I've already mentioned that. I've already mentioned the milk of the Gentiles being money coming across the Mediterranean. I've already mentioned King James. You know, I should mention the IRS and how it allows you to, you know, it wants to subsidize your gifts to the church of Jesus Christ. Do you know that it wants to help an ordained minister of the gospel? Do you want to know their exact terminology? It's an ordained minister of the gospel. I get to double count all the, all the expenses related to my house. I get to double deduct. They know exactly what they're doing. It's called my personage expenses. And so I get to double deduct everything related to the cost of my home on a tax return. As long as I'm an ordained minister of the gospel. I just want to tell you that the Bible's true. That's all I'm trying to tell you. 
I, the Lord, am my Savior. They're going to come and they're going to shout that the Lord Jehovah is the only God and he's the Savior of the Jews and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. They're going to see all that. And, and the Jews will know that, that, that the Lord is their Savior and their Redeemer and the Mighty One of Jacob. Now look at the upgrade in verse 17. For brass I will bring gold. You know, Solomon had brass. God does not deal with an upgrade on gold because they wouldn't have understood it. Now today, we, we, would, we would like to hear about platinum and some other metals, but not back then. Okay, so just don't worry about it. For brass, Solomon had brass, I will bring gold. This is the Lord and the New Testament church being more beautiful than the old. For iron, I will bring silver. For wood, brass, and for stones, iron. There's going to be a great upgrade in the building materials of the New Testament church. I will also make thy officers peace. You are going to have officers that officiate over your business and they're going to maintain peace so that you will have a gentle, comfortable, restful, peaceful situation and thine exactors, the bishops, overseers and supervisors will cause you to follow the due order of things and make sure that there is righteousness being practiced among all the members and citizens of the nation and church, kingdom of Jesus Christ and the churches of Christ. So we get to the next lesson. You say you're going awfully fast. Yes, and if it's, not, if it's too fast, then you're going to have to use the outline. Verse 18 through verse 22. Let's finish it out. Violence shall no more. Let's talk about the character, the character traits, the features. That's what I mean by, the, by Kirk character. I only have a few words for my outline. And by character, I mean character traits or features. The character of the church would be very great. The character traits, the features. Here we go. Verse 18. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land. Wasting nor destruction within thy borders, but thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee. But the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. The, thy sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself, for the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy morning shall be ended. Thy people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. And amen. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it, is what we get from Isaiah 9-7, looking at a cross-reference. Very quickly, verse 18. Is it going to be a peaceful situation in the church of Jesus Christ? And will they not hurt nor harm in all my holy mountain? We learned that in Isaiah chapter 11, where the wolf would lie down with the lamb. Remember? Remember all that? And it said, they will not harm in all my holy mountain. In the church of Jesus Christ, all that normal enmity and animosity, hatred and violence, Paul said we were once hateful and hating one another, living in malice and envy, is ripped away from men. And even though they can cross cultural, racial, economic, educational, intellectual boundaries that usually exist among men. And in the church of Jesus Christ, it's all peace. There's no more violence. He's already taught, taught us this in Isaiah chapter 11. Nor wasting destruction within thy borders and so forth. It's just a place of salvation. It's a place of praise. You know, you don't praise unless you're totally secure. Or you're worried. But it's going to be a place of salvation and praise. You know, it's using Old Testament terms like walls and so forth when it's just talking about the church of Jesus Christ. This is a place where we come because here's where we hear about salvation and here's, how, here's where we praise the God that saved us. Verse 19, this, you don't need the sun in the church of Jesus Christ. The sun's not going to be our light. The sun of righteousness is our light. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2. There, here's two whole verses. It's just describing the glory of the church. What is the light of the church? Listen, we don't care if outside the sun is shining and it was a beautiful morning. But what if it was an overcast morning and there was a low cloud cover and it was black and dark? In here, as soon as we assemble and open the word of God and open our hymnals to praise, it's as bright as can be. We don't need that out there. That's the comparison being drawn. That the real light is the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It lights men up. It lights men up, men's eyes. It enlightens their souls. It's the spirit of illumination that helps us. The days of thy mourning are going to end. You know, they were waiting for the redemption in Israel. They, they were mourning. Blessed are they that mourn. I mean, Jesus dealt with mourning directly as soon as he appeared in the scene because they were waiting 
for God to, they knew that there was a time prophecy running from Daniel chapter 9, and they were waiting for redemption. Simeon said, Lord, don't let me die. He knew that it was so that close. Don't let me die until I've seen. It's right here. Anna spoke of them that waited for redemption in Jerusalem because they were waiting for it. The, The days of thy mourning shall be ended because Jesus will appear. At the end of verse 19, the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light and thy God thy glory. The, the light of our church is a spiritual light. Right. It's, it's not personality. It's not programs. It's not anything but the person of Jesus Christ and God his Father. Amen. It's the light of our church. Amen. It's the light of the kingdom of God. That's the light of our souls. Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and, and, and uh, the sun will give you light. The Bible knows about the sun. The sun shines on the evil and the good. He makes no difference there. But awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee, the church at Ephesus, light. Thy people also shall be all righteous. You say, but there's no church. Per- yeah, that's right. That's how the Bible uses words like this. It's going to be totally different from Israel. Do you want to know the numbers in Israel and then the numbers in the church? Let me share them with you. You've already learned it if you've been listening as we've preached our way through Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 13, the last verse of Isaiah chapter 6, about trees casting their leaves, what does it say was the percentage between elect and reprobate in Israel? 10% elect, 90% reprobate. What's a good number to throw at about the churches of Jesus Christ? 90% elect and 10% reprobate. I'd say that's a pretty significant upgrade in character. They shall inherit the land forever. The church is never going away. The branch of my planting, I've planted this thing. It's Jewish to begin with. The root and the fatness is Jewish, but I've grafted in the Gentiles the work of my hands that I may be glorified. The whole thing is to the glory of God. How does Romans chapter 11 end? The last four verses. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? It is surrounded by two amens because it is fantastic as Paul just bursts forth in praise to God. Just like this that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. This is just national language for the Jews of 600 B.C., describing the numerical growth of the kingdom of God, the numerical growth of the churches of Jesus Christ. A little one shall become a thousand. Israel was so small, but then the Gentiles were added to it, and it just exploded. How did Jesus describe this? Jesus had two metaphors for this verse. What, do you remember the two? There in Matthew 13, verses 31 through 33, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is likened to leaven. That's yeast. A woman only needs to put a little bit of it into the lump, and the whole lump is impacted, infected, affected by that yeast. So the little tiny church at Jerusalem exploded into the world until the whole world had Christianity in it. What was his other metaphor? What was his other word picture? Mustard seed. You take a little tiny mustard seed, it's about the size of a BB, maybe a little smaller, put it in the ground, and up comes a tree, and all the birds of the air can, can nest in the, in the branches of that tree. That's small to large. The kingdom of Jesus Christ was 120 in Acts chapter 1. By the end of Acts chapter 3, 13,120, and it exploded from there. Amen. This is Isaiah chapter 60. It's the glory of the Jewish church. We don't get to repay them except in spirit, and in celebration, and in singing songs like glorious things of thee are spoken as we use terminology that they used for their mountain, their city, their temple, their citadel, their fortress. We use similar terminology for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.